Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. It's time for the playoffs. It's time to decide who's going to Vegas. Will it be Baltimore, Miami, Kansas City, or Buffalo coming out of the AFC? Is it going to be San Francisco, Dallas, Detroit even coming out of the NFC? Pick your two conference champions, parlay it, and remember, get your 50% welcome bonus on that first parlay using our promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, when you use the link in the description to this episode at BetOnline Sportsbook. Bet online where the game starts. Last week, we got a chance to talk about Russell Wilson. Obviously, his time in Denver is up, so he's looking for his next team. But he's not the only one. There's going to be another couple quarterbacks that are on the move. It seems like the Bears are pretty set on drafting a quarterback this year as they have the number one overall pick secured. Caleb Williams, Drake May, whoever it is, they'll be replacing Justin Fields. Justin Fields, his next team undetermined at this moment. And I was watching the Sunday night game, and I'm seeing Kirk Cousins rocking the gold chain rocking bear chest he will be recovering from his achilles tear but he should be ready to go by next season you know obviously aaron Rodgers talked about being ready to go this season so achilles not a career ender especially at the quarterback position he is older though he is going to cost money though he did get a guaranteed contract just a few years ago too clearly kirk cousins agent knows how to negotiate out of those three quarterbacks Who would you be most interested in investing in if you're a team looking to fill your quarterback position? Depends on the team, but as a blanket statement, I mean, the the potential of Justin Fields is just so invigorating, enticing, just getting you thinking about what the possibility of him in a system that contours to his offensive skill set and provides him with a better support system than the Bears gave him for the first two years of his career and you know hoping for good health in that sense I mean just thinking about what could happen in year four with Justin Fields would be absolutely the quarterback that I would be targeting if I were a team and I'm not even like worried about the oh you're gonna have to pay him the fifth year option or whatever after the fact it's like it's fine Justin Fields can be a quarterback for my team for the next six years in the same way that the Vikings who just went out and spent six years paying Kirk Cousins top-of-the-league money, they were able to build a relatively successful team around Kirk Cousins that won playoff games. Now, granted, their general manager and head coach got fired halfway through the Kirk Cousins experiment, so they they weren't perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but they were able to build a successful team that has never won fewer than seven games since Kirk Cousins has gotten to Minnesota. So. I think that Justin Fields would be the absolutely enticing prospect. Russell Wilson, we talked about it last week. There's some teams out there that it would make a lot of sense for him to to go piece together. I think we kind of fell on the New York Giants as one that made a lot of sense if they were going to move off of Daniel Jones. Pittsburgh, obviously, in that group. But Justin Fields is so enticing, especially if you're going to line him up with a, a new offensive play caller. I think it would be just super enticing to see Justin Fields. Yeah, I, I, I hear what you're saying about Justin Fields' potential. We do wonder with Justin Fields when his potential will actually 
actualized that we'll actually start to see it turn into something turn into winning in particular and hey maybe in week 18 he goes against the Packers balls out which would be a first in his career actually balls out against the Packers and wins that game and suddenly the narrative on Justin Fields going into this offseason is that he's worth multiple firsts at the moment I'm seeing his name floated out there for a second round pick third round pick which would be great value considering where he was as a prospect just a couple years ago some of the teams we mentioned last week Seahawks Patriots you mentioned the Steelers, the Falcons, the Giants, the Raiders. I'm seeing their name thrown out there as well. You know, we think about like where teams are stacked as far as um, their draft position as well. The Patriots, they're going to probably be drafting a quarterback. We know that. So maybe we take them off the board. But then you talk about like the Falcons, for example. It seems like they're going to keep Arthur Smith uh, based off recent reports. So, okay, well, you still have B. John Robinson there. You have Kyle Pitts there. You have Drake London there. Three guys that are drafted within the top 10 of their respective NFL drafts. They are all really dynamic weapons. So like any quarterback that inherits those would be lucky to do so. You talk about potential. I know what Kirk Cousins is, and Kirk Cousins at least went healthy. I mean, he was a Pro Bowl quarterback in the NFC. Can argue to be the top quarterback in the NFC on any given year, too. You know, you're going to get 4,000 yards passing. You probably get 30 touchdowns. That's all numbers that like any of these teams respectively could utilize. The Raiders, obviously, like I said, Aiden O'Connell last week didn't prove that he necessarily deserves uh, to be a starter in this league. So I'm okay backburnering him if you get any of these quarterback options. Seattle, how much of an upgrade would these respective quarterbacks be over Geno Smith? Um, Justin Fields, like you bring him into that one. I could see him being a good heir apparent to challenge Smith in that locker room for snaps. I think with Justin Fields, here's what I would say. You don't bring him in just to say he's going to be the set starter. I, I think that that should be said. Like, I think that he, okay. if he goes into like Seattle, I think that there should be at least a reasonable quarterback competition. And if he's better than Geno, great. Throw him in there. When it comes to the Raiders, maybe he's a set starter on that team just because, again, I don't think that there's much to love about Aiden O'Connell. Also depends on who's that head coach. Is it going to be Antonio Pierce? Are they going to go somewhere else? Like, if they really put all their chips in and go after Jim Harbaugh, then who does Jim Harbaugh want to be his quarterback? I think that needs to be factored in as well. Falcons, Arthur Smith, <laughs> I I think he could use Justin Fields, actually, in a weird way. Because, you know, like, obviously he does want to run the ball. I think having a guy that can use that run option might actually be something that he would enjoy at the quarterback position. Although I think Kirk Cousins might be a better fit on that team because I think Kirk could get these weapons, the, the ball in ways that they haven't been able to get them in their career. And I think he would benefit from a dynamic run game in Bijan and even Tyler Algier as the second running back there. I think that the Falcons, if they got Kirk, that would be like a scary little offense potentially in the NFC South. In fact, Kirk would be the best quarterback in the NFC South. That could be the game changer there as well. But you know what, too, about Kirk? Chris Collinsworth said it on the broadcast. If you're Minnesota, what are you doing? <laughs> I mean, Jared Hall, he yeah. should not be quarterbacking. Nick Mullins, I have seen it. Saw it plenty of times with the Niners. Not a starting quarterback. So Kirk Cousins earned a lot of money in just the sense that his backups came in and they weren't Kirk Cousins. Yep, that is exactly right on with the Kirk Cousins scenario, which I'll get to in a second. First, the Falcons. I, I keep speaking this into existence and you think I'm joking, but Arthur Smith's entire entire vision, as far as I can tell for the Falcons, has been to reassemble the 2019 Titans. 
That's just essentially what he's been trying to do for three going on four years. I'm telling you, if he's the head coach next year, Ryan Tannehill is going to be the quarterback of the Falcons. It's just an inevitability. Tannehill's available. They're totally going to just sign Tannehill and try to have him reinvent their offense as they go seven and 10 and Arthur Smith gets fired again. I'm just telling you it's going to happen. So as much as I would love to see Justin Fields go back home to Georgia and be the quarterback who revives the Falcons, it would be such a beautiful fit. It's not going to happen if Arthur Smith is the head coach. I'm just sorry. Arthur Smith is is not going to do it. He's just he's infatuated with the Marcus Mariota's and Ryan Tannehill's and guys that he used to coach in Tennessee, which is why I would assume Arthur Smith is going to get fired. But who knows? We'll see what happens uh, in that sense. In terms of Kirk Cousins, I think it's just a two-man bidding race for Kirk Cousins because I'm just thinking about all the teams who need a quarterback, whether they're in a drafting position, whether they're in a signing position, what stage of a rebuild, what stage of a compete they're at. I think it's just a two-man bidding race for Kirk Cousins. There's only two teams that that make sense. It's It's the Minnesota Vikings and it's the Denver Broncos. Those are the only two teams that make sense in the Kirk Cousins bidding race. And maybe that's enough for his agent to get those two teams to bid against each other in the $30 million range or whatever Kirk Cousins is worth. But I think given the stage that the teams are at right now, the only two teams that would make sense for Kirk Cousins services are a team that firmly has their head coach in place, firmly has their offensive scheme in place, and a team that actively wants to compete but needs to figure out their quarterback position for a, a short two-year run before they either you know put up or shut up or see what their success is going to look like. I, I think the Vikings and Broncos are the two teams that feel like they're in in the game for Kirk Cousins in that sense. Maybe you could think of a third. I know Pittsburgh is kind of in that same kind of space, but they're bringing in a totally new offensive scheme now that Matt Canada is gone. They're, uh, I don't yeah. think Kirk Cousins would fit quite as well there, but... The only two teams I can find in the in the Kirk Cousins conversation are the Vikings and the Broncos. I know based off Kenny Pickett's stat lines, most Steelers fans probably are willing to move off Kenny Pickett, but it just feels like it's trending towards him getting a third year, a third year figure it out with a new coordinator. And if he truly can't make it work after that, then okay. Because obviously this is the year you pick up the fifth year option and figure it out with Kenny Pickett. You still have a cheap quarterback because Kirk is an investment. And at the end of the day, Kirk is an investment. He's an older quarterback. How long are you signing him for? Are you signing him to a three-year deal, four-year deal, five-year deal until he's 40 years old? That's the thing that like NFL teams have to ask themselves when they're talking about Kirk Cousins. Same with Russell Wilson, of course. You know, we are signing an older Russell Wilson. The interesting thing there is obviously Russell Wilson still sees himself as a highly paid player. So I'm curious what kind of contract Russell Wilson is going to command on the open market. The thing that makes their situations different from obviously Justin Fields is you still have to negotiate with the Bears if you want Justin Fields. It's easier to just go pick up Kirk Cousins or Russell Wilson this offseason. So I think that if you're an NFL team, your first priorities are going to be with the veteran quarterbacks. And if you can take a flyer, the great part is the Bears putting it out there that they are going to draft a quarterback so early on basically indicates that, okay, we can lowball the Bears for Justin Fields. We can say, okay, well, what are you going to do? Are you just going to keep Justin Fields into the season? I don't think so. So we'll offer you a couple third-round picks, and if you don't like it, keep it moving. Keep negotiating with other teams, but that's our price. So let me ask you a hypothetical question here. You are the 
general manager of the Seattle Seahawks, John Schneider, or maybe you can be Pete Carroll. Being Pete Carroll seems like a fun life. Maybe you're one of those two. You have pick, you know, 46 in the second round because they're probably not going to make the playoffs. You have a, a pick in the middle of the second round. Would you rather take that pick and, and say maybe Drew Locke and a future fourth or something like that? Would you rather take that and trade it to the Bears for Justin Fields? Or would you sit there at 46 and draft local legend Michael Penix to be the backup to yeah. Geno Smith potentially take over? Which which do you prefer? Because I've kind of I think <laughs> both could work out equally well for the Seahawks. Yeah, and uh, certainly after seeing Penix light up my Longhorns, it's hard to pass on that guy because he looks like such a fun prospect. Hey, if I get Penix that low in the draft, I know he's cheap. I know he's not going to cost me anything as far as like trading away draft picks. It just, you know, obviously I don't get a guarantee there, right? I don't get a guarantee that Penix is going to fall to me. So I either got to reach or I just have to do a great job of reading the room of other NFL front offices and knowing how highly they value Michael Penix Jr. So uh, if you're the Seahawks and you can guarantee that you get Penix, yeah, then that that's a great option there. You know, a great quarterback to build around. A uh, young guy, you know, if you do draft in the second year, there is or second round, there is, of course, the drawback that you don't get that fifth year option and you get them on a four year deal, of course. But um, I think that I would invest. You talk about Justin Fields potential. I would rather invest in the potential of the new incoming rookie that hasn't been sullied by a year of Matt Nagy and a couple years, you know, with uh, what they got in Eberflus out there in Chicago, because I, I don't know. St- Justin Fields stock is pretty low right now. I'd have to almost get him for free. I guess if I knew that Penix was going to fall on my lap like that, I guess I do value Penix a little bit more than Justin Fields right now. Yeah. And, but either way, like yeah. I said earlier, so, too, maybe even if I got Justin Fields, he's in, I'm Seattle. He's not coming in and a guaranteed starter. He still will have to compete with Gino in my mind. I think that's probably fair. I mean, the, the places that he could go where he would probably be guaranteed a starting job are uh, Atlanta, um, Pittsburgh, uh, the Raiders, those are the places he would probably be guaranteed a starting job. And Seattle obviously has the system that they have in place there. And Penix is probably the fifth quarterback in this draft class at this point. Someone's going to take a chance on Bo Nix, I think, before they take a chance on Michael Penix. But maybe maybe the 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 Seahawks have to do what the Titans did last year and like trade up to the top of the second round to get the quarterback that they think could one day be their future starter. I mean, who knows how the draft will fall, like you said, but I, I think it's kind of stuck in either direction because Fields is the more talented prospect. Fields is Fields was a former number two quarterback prospect in his draft class, top five overall prospect in his draft class. And Penix is the fourth or fifth quarterback in a pretty good quarterback draft class, but not as highly regarded as the quarterback well, class. Let me ask you on that one, so. though. If Penix balls out in the national championship game, you don't think that he would jump a couple quarterbacks on that list because it kind of feels like Deshaun Watson, where Deshaun Watson used the college football playoff success to propel him in the draft. From where it stands right now, it doesn't look like it. I mean, the the, the three quarterbacks that people are convinced are first rounders are Caleb Williams, Drake May and Jaden Daniels. And it yeah. doesn't seem like there's going to be a fourth quarterback picked at all in the first round. It doesn't yeah. seem like that's the direction. Well, it's gonna okay. Go. But like Penix Jr. was just the runner up for the Heisman. And I also look at like a Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow, who knew if he was going to go number one officially up until like he had his just domination that season 
um, in college football, like Penix Jr. dominating this year. I don't know how if Caleb Williams will drop. I don't know if he'll even drop out of the number one spot. But there is some weirdness that's starting to percolate with Caleb Williams this year. So I don't know. Like if you told me like Penix has like five touchdowns against Michigan on Monday night, you're going to tell me another team's not going to think about it? I think they're going to think about it in the same way that people thought about Hendon Hooker being a first round pick last year. And obviously Hooker broke his leg and that yeah, kind of switched the, up his the injury first round yeah. stock. We but. still don't know. Like the for all we know in a couple of years maybe Hendon Hooker's challenging Jared Goff after he heals up. So that one I it's apples yeah, and but oranges. I, but I was me. thinking like like back in October when Hendon Hooker was beating Alabama, people were like, well, maybe he'll get picked in the first round. Like, yeah, maybe he'll get picked in the first round. People do weird stuff. People pick Mac Jones in the first round and Michael Penix is a better quarterback than Mac Jones. <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't be that weird. Let's say that it wouldn't be that yeah. weird for Penix to be a top 15, top 10 pick even if a team wants to trade up and really push the envelope. And that's what I meant about potentially reaching earlier for the Seahawks. You're not reaching on the talent because that he's untalented you're reaching on him just because maybe other teams don't value him as highly as you probably value him that you know that could be a mistake maybe years later we're looking back on you really let Penix Jr. fall to the second round you guys are idiots all 31 GMs and that don't draft be, him there's something to be said for the hometown hero thing too I mean Pittsburgh reached on Kenny Pickett like two rounds early yeah because he happened to be the hometown hero. <laughs> but so Pickett was weird, man, because, you know, like Pickett obviously never reached the heights that Penix has reached as a college level quarterback. And, you know, for all Pickett's success, I'm not saying that he was unsuccessful in college. He was never Penix or at least this iteration of Penix um, in the Heisman season. Or well, back- Kenny Pickett, Kenny Pickett finished third place for a Heisman trophy and Michael Pence second for a Heisman trophy. But besides the point, like, yeah, I don't know. I think Pitt versus Washington and competing for a national title, two different levels. Yeah, no, totally. They won an orange bowl, but it's not, you know, Penix making it to the championship and all that. I just, I, I think it's interesting. The, the conversation around that from the Seattle standpoint, because God, I would love it if Justin Fields ended up in Seattle. Like that's the place where I'm like, Yes, if you can get Justin Fields there, he's going to reach the potential that all that talent showed. Again, this is the second best quarterback prospect in the history of Georgia high school football. And only because he's number two is because Trevor Lawrence, who was in the same high school class as him, was number one. Like Justin Fields is this immense talent. We've seen the immense talent time and time again with the Bears. The Bears have given him a a better support system this year. And hell, if, you know, the Bears problem was their defense was just awful and couldn't save these games last year that Justin Fields was doing these video game like moves playing for the Bears. But that now they got Montez Sweat. The defense looks like it has a semblance of a heartbeat. And now, if not for blowing a 14 point lead in five minutes against the Lions, they would be six and one in their last seven games. So like you're seeing the Bears come to life. Justin Fields isn't the primary reason for that, but Justin Fields has been a reason why the Bears have turned the corner. They don't have the revolving door of quarterbacks like they used to have. Man, Seattle would be great if they could end up with Justin Fields, but I think Seattle would also be super exciting if they ended up with Michael Penix. Like, I think they could make both of those work. All right, guys. Well, where do you think these quarterbacks land? Kirk Cousins, Justin Fields, Russell Wilson, a lot of variables in their potential landing spots, especially when you consider the rookie class incoming is so stacked as is. I leave a like on our video, subscribe to the channel, follow us on all our social medias from Juju and Kyle. Stay safe, happy, and healthy. We'll see you next time.
The Eagles, they have not had a great last month. In fact, things are just looking downright ugly over there. And as crazy as it is to say, considering this is the same franchise that fired Doug Peterson so closely after he won the Super Bowl, what do you make of Nick Sirianni coming off losing the Super Bowl in this ugly month that involved a most recent loss to the Arizona Cardinals? How's his job security looking like? Getting to the Super Bowl with that team, I feel pretty confident is going to buy him two more years to right the ship. He has earned the right to fire a coordinator at the very least. That is the thing that I feel is is very fair for Nick Sirianni, because as bad as things have gone this year for the Philadelphia Eagles, they're actually relatively explainable. Like, so when Jonathan Gannon was leaving Philadelphia last year, he wasn't transparent with the organization about whether or not he was interested in the Cardinals job, which, by the way, we found out later he and the Cardinals ended up self-reporting a tampering violation that led to a trade of draft picks as a way to settle the tampering violation because Gannon called got a call from the Cardinals general manager that was impermissible because it was the day after they won the NFC championship and the window for contact with candidates had closed because the Cardinals didn't hire their general manager in time. And so that was all going down. And because of that, the Eagles could not hire Vic Fangio as defensive coordinator, which if you'll remember, they hired Vic Fangio for two weeks to not teach their defense how to stop Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl. And so he was like contracted for hire for two weeks and they wanted Fangio to audition to be the defensive coordinator and get to know the guys a little bit. And then Fangio ended up taking the Dolphins job because the Eagles weren't sure whether Gannon would be staying or not. And so not only did they lose out on Vic Fangio, they lost out on all of the primary defensive coordinator candidates. They settled on Sean Desai, who at the start of the season looked like he was doing a fantastic job as defensive coordinator. And then it fell apart. And now they have Matt Patricia and the revolving door of defensive coordinators there in Philadelphia, combined with the fact that the Eagles have lost five players from that Super Bowl defense last year and the replacements, particularly at the linebacker position, have not been up to snuff. They tried to replace a lot of the talent that they lost, whether it was Javon Hargrave or TJ Edwards or uh, Kaiser White or Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. They tried to replace a lot of those guys with rookies, particularly rookies that were drafted from Georgia, uh, guys like N'Kobe Dean, Jordan Davis in there for Javon Hargrave. Keely Ringo was a, a fourth round pick who they were hoping would slide in as a starting corner. And it just hasn't worked out for them this year. In addition to the fact that James Bradbury actually is trash, like Debo Samuel said. So, you know, as tough as this year has gone for the Eagles, the defensive woes are easy enough to explain away. And on the offensive side of the ball, I mean, they're fine, but they're also at that stage of the season where everyone is exhausted and they're just running like the same six plays over and over on Madden at this point, which is fine. They're still able to move the ball. They put up 35 points on the Cardinals or 31 <laughs> points on the Cardinals. It's the Cardinals. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. It's the Cardinals. The, the defense is the thing that's letting them down this year. The defense is the reason why they won't make a deep playoff run. And, you know, I guess Sirianni's not in charge of the defense. So I guess I give him a pass there, but obviously he's the head coach. So there is a level of oversight there. It is funny because I, I remember watching the uh, Sunday night football game when they played Miami and the announcers were calling him like the heartbeat of the city, Philadelphia sports fans on Twitter were talking about him. Like we love him. He's our coach. He's our guy. But after the Cardinals loss, you go to like Philadelphia Eagles Twitter and it's just a mess of like fire Sirianni comments and comments saying, okay, we should move on because they're upset at him. Not only 
obviously they couldn't retain their coordinators, but obviously the replacements at coordinator because Brian Johnson, you know, his name was coming up for like head coaching opportunities. But now if you like look at like where the heartbeat of like the hiring cycle is, Brian Johnson, you know, now it kind of feels very Brian Leftwichy, but went from a head coaching candidate to someone too who might also be on the hot seat in terms of, as you mentioned, if they're cycling through the same six plays on Madden, that's not a good look for him. And for Sirianni, he gets criticized too because he's more of the CEO type head coach. He's not doing any play calling. He's just hiring. He's just making sure the personnel is right. He's motivating his players. He's doing all the stuff, you know, typically we associate with like a Mike, a Mike Tomlin, for example. So like for him, like it, it just puts you in a more vulnerable position because if things go wrong, it becomes a what exactly do you do here situation? And, you know, yes, this is still a double-digit win team in the Philadelphia Eagles. Obviously, they accrued a lot of their wins early in the season. They're, they had some massive amounts of luck when you, we really talk about it, similar to last year's Minnesota Vikings team. You kind of wonder if they're both in the same ilk in terms of like how we should talk about them. Or even you go back a couple of years ago to that F Pittsburgh Steelers team that, yeah, they want double-digit games, but obviously they got exposed in the playoffs. You kind of like wonder, is this Philadelphia Eagles team basically exact carbon copies of that Viking squad and that Stiller squad? In fact, I think if I asked you this probably a couple weeks ago, and we talked about this a little bit more in another video as well, but if I told you they were going to go to the NFC South division winners home, you would said they still probably had what, an 80% chance of victory, 90% chance of victory now that it looks like they're going to Tampa. What do you think the Philadelphia Eagles' chances of winning that game really are? I said two weeks ago, two weeks ago, ahead of the curve, that Tampa Bay would beat Philadelphia in a playoff game on their home field. And granted, it looked like it was going to be Dallas beating the crap out of Tampa again for a second year in a row. But fortunately, the Eagles dropped a game to the Cardinals at home. And so now the Eagles get to go to that playoff spot what, in the five seed. What if I ask you directly after the Niners game? Just after the Niners game, not after everything else that happened there, but just after the Niners at game. After the Niners game, I would have told you that the and I did say that the Eagles are the third best team in the NFC. It is San Francisco, it's Dallas and it's Philadelphia. But I would have told you that Philadelphia still had a chance to win the Super Bowl. Now, I will not say that the Eagles have a chance to win a Super Bowl. There are six teams with a chance to win the Super Bowl, and two of them are in the NFC. It is, it is San Francisco, and it's maybe Dallas. Those are the only two teams that could win the Super Bowl coming out of the NFC. It is not going to be Philadelphia's year. And, and even if Philadelphia beats Tampa Bay, because I will like acknowledge, yes, they have been lucky in one-score games. And yes, if Gabe Davis runs the right route and Marquez Valdez-Scantling doesn't drop that pass, on the uh, on the Monday night football game, maybe the Eagles have a 10 and seven record this year. And this weekend is is them still fighting for a playoff spot or fighting to get the six or seven seat. Like regardless of that, they are still 11 and five. They, they are still going to be the five seed in the NFC playoffs. They were super close to still being the number two seed in the NFC. So I won't like say this is a, a hit the panic button. I think the best comparison is the 2021 Cardinals where the 2021 Cardinals started like nine and one on the season. And then they finished the year like one and five and they were still going to win the NFC West. But then they lost a game to, I think, Detroit late in the season. The, and that was the year the Lions only won like two games. Then they ended up getting the five seed in the wild card and lost to the Rams. And what happened afterwards that led to Kingsbury getting fired was his play calling stopped getting creative. He started fighting with the quarterback, and that's what led to them making the decision between 
having to choose Kyler Murray or choose Cliff Kingsbury. And they obviously chose Kyler Murray. And by the way, that's the same way that it fell apart for Doug Peterson in Philadelphia. It was Doug Peterson was beefing with Carson Wentz and they drafted Jalen Hurts and Carson Wentz was upset about them drafting Jalen Hurts. He benched Carson Wentz for Jalen Hurts. It was really ugly and Carson Wentz was not a good teammate in the locker room afterwards. And so if you remember when that happened, the Eagles didn't fire Doug Peterson until like 11 days after the season ended instead of like on Black Monday or right after he benched all of his starters to tank for the draft pick and keep the Giants out of the playoffs that year. They didn't fire Doug Peterson right away. They waited like 11 or 12 days before they finally moved on from Doug Peterson. So I think they kind of came to the conclusion, we don't want either of you to stick around between Carson Wentz and Doug Peterson because of just how tumultuous that 2020 season was. So obviously Sirianni's not going to get fired this year. They're still a decent team. They're one year removed from the Super Bowl. They hit that 33 game plateau where once you play 33 games in the span of like 14 months, everyone's exhausted bodies start breaking down a couple times. Mentally, people are drained from having to play so much football. I mean, we're kind of seeing some of that in Kansas City right now after five consecutive seasons of going to the AFC Championship. Obviously, they don't need to do anything dramatic right now. Next year, the thing that could be to the detriment of Sirianni is if he loses the offense because the defense is already in shambles. I don't know how many of those players are going to be coming back around but if he starts losing a grip on the offense and him and Jalen Hurts don't have the best relationship and it's compromising the quarterback that they just paid when they signed him to the contract a record-setting amount of money to and didn't even think twice about signing Jalen Hurts to a record-setting contract you'll see the tide start to rise a bit in Philadelphia if Sirianni loses a grip on the offense well, an uh, interesting report I saw today, actually, too, and this is something just to bookmark as a potential thing that might shift the Philadelphia offense, is the Philadelphia Inquirer is reporting that A.J. Brown is reportedly at the center of locker room frustrations. So, you know, I, I floated the idea to you a couple weeks ago of Devontae Smith potentially Philadelphia, you already got your wide receiver one and A.J. Brown, like Devontae Smith. He's coming up for his contract. Why don't you potentially flip him for assets and just try and rebuild this defense a little bit? If A.J. Brown is a locker room problem, maybe I change that logic to pay Devontae Smith and flip him and try and fix your defense that way. What do you think of that? I'm still going to sit in the camp of keep both of your receivers and it's okay to pay both of them big time money instead of trying to find the next A.J. Brown or find the next Devonta Smith because we, we've seen A.J. Brown get traded once already and it totally led to the collapse of the Titans as we know it. Their general manager got fired. They rebuilt their entire offense. It looks like Derek is going to leave. So Fair, but do know. I need two high-level wide receivers when I have a defense that is 29th in scoring defense? Like, I need to fix that. I need to balance my team out somehow and... Obviously, I am on eleven and five when eleven and five teams, so I'm not going to be at the top of the draft to necessarily do that to get a high level defender that's going to change, fix the secondary. Obviously, you know we talk about uh, replacing Bradbury or something, for example, um, or gaining a high level pass rusher or a high level linebacker. Which you know I know that Howie Roseman, his logic has always been to punt at linebacker, but maybe that's time to flip that. Maybe I need to go in there and get my Devin Roy, my uh, Micah Parsons. The only way you're going to do that is to be at the top of the draft or to have more draft picks, more bites at the apple, so they say. 
And again, it's just like, if you already have one, do you need the second one? I mean, you also are paying Dallas Goddard there to be your another top level receiving option for you as well. Do I need three? Is How many, like, I mean, my offense, as you mentioned, it's not necessarily the problem, but I don't know. I guess for me, it comes down to who do you think is more replaceable out of those wide receivers? But I, there's the intangible aspect of A.J. Brown is truly causing issues. And we've seen that. We've seen some blow-ups on the sidelines, too, between him, the coordinators, even Jalen Hurts, which you typically don't like to see those blow-ups between your wide receiver and your quarterback. Well, this is the thing about the Eagles, though, is that they shouldn't have to move off of one of these key players just to compensate for some bad mistakes in the other direction. But how do you fix it? Well, this is the thing that's interesting with the Eagles, because you talk about they need to to stack the shelf and refill the cabinet on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, they had a free Jalen Carter the year after making the Super Bowl. They got the number one graded prospect, according to some people, in the draft class the year after making it to the Super Bowl. Like that is a gift from God to no, help out your, no one's, your defense and supplements. No one's talking about their sets. defensive line. People are talking about their back seven. Their back seven is the issue. Yeah. We need to fix that. And typically, you're not fixing that with just a bunch of six-round DBs. No, and, and Howie Roseman has made some mistakes. I mean, Kobe Dean is supposed to be the linebacker who fills in there and makes an impact, and it just hasn't happened for him the way it did in college. Uh, they they picked Kili Ringo, and I haven't... I mean, he's only a, a, a rookie, so there's a chance that he could step into that role. Uh, they drafted Sidney Brown, the safety in the third round this year. And obviously he had the pick six against the Cardinals. That was super helpful, but people aren't talking about him like an impact player on that defense. Like they absolutely, they still have their first round pick this year. So I think them drafting a linebacker seems yeah. like a reasonable choice there. Um, even if you go out and get like Kaiser white, who's over there in Arizona, or you go and get, Chris Barnes or something like that and just do something to try and change up the room like I don't think you have to make the dramatic move of like we are exchanging in our star wide receiver to try and draft a star linebacker we don't sound like I mean we don't see this often but like star for star AJ Brown Patrick Sertain straight up yay or nay I would say nay, but it's not unreasonable. If it's that much of a problem with AJ Brown, I think you start to to think about it the same way that Buffalo started to think about the Stefan Diggs stuff this offseason and might revisit the Stefan Diggs departure coming up here at the end of this season. But I wouldn't do anything dramatic yet, especially when you got AJ Brown essentially as like a bonus for getting rid of Carson Wentz because they traded Carson Wentz to the Colts. They got a, a, a first that could be a second if he plays not a certain number of snaps that turn into a first round pick and then they flip that first round for AJ Brown I'm not ready to just totally jump off the AJ Brown ship especially when he's still super productive and especially when their number three receiver right now is the corpse of Julio Jones that is still trying to roll out there and give them some <laughs> sort of production at the receiver position like if you're doing that it's acknowledging that you've messed up somewhere along the way because Howie Roseman's had so many draft picks he's had so many chips that he can he can throw at the board to try and fix that defense or keep the offensive line intact. It's just, I guess, market correction, but also this has just been a catastrophically bad season on defense, and I suspect that they'll they'll improve next year just by getting everyone healthy and trading out some of the, the pieces that have let them down this year, like a James Bradbury. But 
I don't know if getting rid of AJ Brown or Devonta Smith now is the right answer. I think you you keep that core intact, especially when next year's when Jalen Hurts' contract is going to start to kick into effect, and you've got to start to make some of those financial decisions they already have, whether it was not bringing back Isaac Samalu or letting Javon Hargrave walk. I don't think it's a crazy idea to contemplate what yeah. value you can get for AJ Brown or Devonta Smith. I'm just not you know seriously well, considering here's it another pro- someone's throwing a god well, here's another it. problem though for the eagles though like on defense again i keep mentioning you got to fix this defense somehow fletcher cox is up there in years darius slay he's on the back end of his career too you know you are starting already see the few star pieces i can point to on their defense start to age out you know you got to account for that too like it, it you know talk about reloading you have to fix that somehow i i don't know i'm just trying to fix the pieces with the current assets I see on this team. Like, how do you do that? I I think that that's probably one direction you consider looking guys. Well, what do you think Sirianni hot seat or not? AJ Brown, is he on the hot seat for the Eagles as well? Like to hear your thoughts. Leave a like on the video, subscribe to the channel, follow us on all our social medias from Juju and Kyle. Stay safe, happy and healthy. We'll see you next time. The season is coming to a close, and we're going to take a look right now at the Coach of the Year odds. So right now, Dan Campbell and Kevin Stefanski tied at plus 175, leading candidates to win Coach of the Year this year. Right behind them, you have Mike McDaniel, plus 650, Shane Steichen, plus 650. D'Amico Ryans is rounding out the top five at plus 900. Who do you think takes home that award? It just feels to me now that we are very much in the camp of Coach of the year belongs to, hey, we thought your team was going to suck, and now you are really good. I, that seems to be where we're going. Because, like, how funny is it that we gave it to Brian Dayball last year? How funny does that look in <laughs> hindsight, that Brian Dayball at 9-7-1 and one with that terrible Giants team got Coach of the Year? Well, for Dan Campbell, is it really that we thought your team was going to suck? Because a lot of people had high expectations of this Lions team coming into the year. For Dan Campbell, it's like a two-year award because I remember when the Lions were one and six last year, I did a 40-minute podcast talking about how, hey, this is just how the cookie crumbles. You know, when you're a coach who's coming into a rebuilding situation, you have to go through the losing, you'll get fired, and someone else will come in and get to reap the rewards of you doing the rebuilding. And since I've done that podcast, I believe Dan Campbell is now like 18 and five as coach of the Detroit Lions. Like, it's truly incredible how they have turned this thing around to the point where now the Detroit Lions are one of the eight best teams in the NFL. Are they going to win a Super Bowl this year? No, they're not. They are incredibly fraudulent on the defensive side of the ball. And we've seen the Chicago Bears beat them twice. And I don't believe any team that loses to the Chicago Bears twice, essentially. I know they came back to win the... I know they came back in the fourth quarter down 14, but they essentially lost to the Bears twice. I don't think that team is going to win the Super Bowl, but that doesn't matter. They're a top eight team in the NFL and they're the Detroit Lions and they're a fun, feel-good story. And so, man, Campbell, I think absolutely deserves in the conversation. However, last year it should have been Andy Reid. And if it wasn't Andy Reid, it should have been Nick Sirianni for the work that those two did last year as coach of the year. 
And so this year, I would like to cape up for Kyle Shanahan, who deserves to win his first coach of the year. Because if not now, when is Kyle Shanahan ever going to get that coach of the year award? He has built a machine. And maybe you could argue John Lynch will win executive of the year because he's the one who put the team together. Sure. But we've seen a masterclass time and time again of Kyle Shanahan putting together incredible offensive game plans and turning Brock Purdy into a pseudo MVP candidate. Like this absolutely should be the year that Kyle Shanahan finally gets that coach of the year award with no disrespect to man Campbell. Well, yeah, kind of disrespect is Kevin Stefanski. You did trade for a sexual predator. So yeah, disrespect to Kevin Stefanski, but no disrespect to man Campbell, no disrespect to Mike McDaniel, who's had an incredible season in Miami too. But if it's not going to be Kyle Shanahan this year, when are we ever going to give it to Kyle Shanahan? See, when I think about like years Kyle Shanahan should have won it, it really should have been 2019. Like 2019, because you talked about the we expected your team to be bad, but you're actually good argument. That would have fit the Niners better that season coming off Jimmy Garoppolo tearing his ACL, still uncertainties on that defense. Nick Bosa was a rookie, so unknown what he was going to turn into for his NFL career. Debo Samuel, what would his career turn into? That would have been the perfect moment to give Kyle the coach of the year honors. Unfortunately, it didn't happen then. Uh, 2020 was the injury riddled year that was 2021 was his next best case because 2021, you still had some injuries with Jimmy Garoppolo that you had to work through throughout that year. But obviously they managed to make it to the NFC championship game. Gosh, actually with 2022, even you look at last year, you mentioned Dayball gained that award. I mean, 2022, Uh, you had three injuries at quarterback to have to work through. They managed to maneuver Trey Lance getting injured in week two. They managed to maneuver Jimmy Garoppolo getting hurt in that game against the Miami Dolphins. And you talked about the uh, emergence of Brock Purdy. We saw last year. Last year would have been more impressive. You're winning with Mr. Relevant, your third string quarterback. Last year could have been the best case to give Kyle the award for coach of the year unfortunately again it just didn't happen you know you compare him to some of the contemporary some of the greats of coaches too that have won the award or not won the award you know we talked about Belichick Belichick's won it a couple times in his career but we obviously he hasn't won it over the last decade the last stretch of his career so eventually you just become a made person a made guy and it just becomes impossible for you to win that award kind of like why doesn't LeBron win win the MVP award every year whenever he was in his prime it's just kind of like how it happens sometimes Yeah. And the thing that's frustrating from my standpoint with this award is like you're rewarding mediocrity or you're rewarding a mediocre team that happens to be above average. Like, again, last year, I said it before, it should have been either Andy Reid or Nick Sirianni for getting that coach of the year award. And what's funny about 2019 with Shanahan is that that was the year that John Harbaugh went from about to get fired by the Ravens and confirmed about to get fired by the Ravens to having the best team in the NFL, the unanimous MVP. So like they actually got it right by giving it to John Harbaugh in 2019. That's the one year that I'm not actually upset about how the coach of the year award went down. 2021 was Vrabel. Vrabel went 12 and five and won the AFC South that year. Do you Mm -hmm. think that that could have been a good year for, I mean, because you also had a matchup between the two when Shanahan versus Vrabel on that Thursday night football game and the Titans kicked the Niners ass. So I guess that could have been tiebreaker in coach of the year potentially. Yeah. But wasn't that also the year that the Niners were like in jeopardy of missing the playoffs the last week of the season? Yeah. They started three and five and then you had to have them go on a little bit of a run late. That was ultimately Jimmy Garoppolo leading that fourth quarter comeback and them winning that week 18 game. That's how they managed to get into the playoffs. 
Uh, you have the incredible win against the Green Bay Packers in Lambeau um, in that playoff run. And yeah, in the NFC Championship game, as we know, it just came down to a Jaquaski tart missed interception from them going to the Super Bowl and potentially beating the Cincinnati Bengals that year. Yeah, I, I suppose. But I don't I don't think even if it even if you say it wasn't Vrabel, I don't think that was the year that like Shanahan should be like, this was my best coaching job. No, I mean, if Jalen Ramsey tips that pass in week 18, you miss the playoffs. I mean, yeah, let's but not. that was a perfect throw by Jimmy as much as much in vogue. It is to shit on Jimmy. That was a perfect throw because Jalen Ramsey was not going to tip that pass. It was out of Jalen Ramsey's reach. Absolutely. And I'm glad that the Niners made the playoffs that year. They were clearly one of the best teams in the NFL that season. It's just they put themselves in a position to almost miss the playoffs. And sure, I guess we give it to Vrabel. That was one of those years that's kind of a cop out year. Uh, 2020, I don't remember who got it, but it probably should have been Andy Reid, given that they were like 14 and one in games that Patrick Mahomes played. I'm not even like articulating for it should be the same coach every year. It's just like you can get some of the veteran coaches into this award. And by the way, like we mentioned earlier, Shanahan hasn't won the award yet. Like this is absolutely the year to reward Kyle Shanahan. for. So if he won it, it would be kind of like a lifetime achievement award. Basically. Like you talk about Dan Campbell getting a two year award, essentially with him getting it this year, it would be rewarding Kyle Shanahan over this seven year rebuild with the San Francisco 49ers. Because when he inherited the team, obviously 2017, This team was in rough shape. It was, in baseball terms, like a triple-A roster, you know, when he inherited this team. I wouldn't go as far as to say this is like a legacy award for seven years of work. I would say this is an award for two years of work. Because in that same span that Man Campbell was 18 and 6 or whatever since I did the podcast saying that he was going to get fired and this is how it worked for the Lions... Since the Christian McCaffrey trade, which was at about the same time, the Niners are like 23 and five. And when Trent Williams and Christian McCaffrey both play, they're like 20 and two or something like that. Like the 49ers, since they completely reinvented that offense, because remember when we were all like, well, the Niners can just take any Joe Schmo running back and turn him into 150 yards and two touchdowns. Well, they went out and got Christian McCaffrey. They redefined the way they run that offense. Obviously, the emergence of Brandon Ayuk has been a big deal in terms of like just a plethora of riches they have on that offensive side of the ball. And they have the best offense in the NFL. Like I think Kyle Shanahan should be rewarded for that. While also taking, I know they drafted Trey Lance and maybe you can hold points against him for that, but like, that's not why he's winning coach of the year. He's winning coach of the year because back in July, 49ers fans were talking about Brock Purdy wouldn't be healthy till October. And he started the first game of the season and he's been the MVP front runner for a good portion of the season. I know Dak Prescott's been in that group and it's probably going to go to Lamar Jackson as our friend Blake Jude calls it for the hang on longer than everyone else MVP award for Lamar. But like Brock Purdy has been incredible as a reclamation project. And these last two years are like the year and a half body of work, I think, is what should earn Kyle Shanahan that coach of the year. And I'm surprised that he's not on the list anywhere when it comes to the odds for coach of the year, because this is the best team in the NFL. And it might be the first time in his career that we can say Kyle Shanahan has the best team in the NFL and the best Mm -hmm. offense in the NFL. He actually is a little lower in the list. He is number eight. He's plus 2,000, which is kind of a significant margin when you consider where he is versus the top because D'Amico's plus 900, double that for Kyle Shanahan at plus 2,000 there. 
other names in front of him, Sean McVay and John Harbaugh, which, you know, you mentioned 2019 potentially gained the awards tonight from him uh, by John Harbaugh. Then what would he have to do to jump some of these guys here? I don't think that, unfortunately, there's just enough games in the season left to jump these guys. Like, you know, they're going to get the number one seed. Other than that, making his case, I just don't think that it's going to happen. Because you look at like Dan Campbell, Stefanski, I kind of wonder what's going to be the separator there because Dan Campbell has already achieved the maximum of what he's going to achieve this year, I think. But this Cleveland Browns, I mean, it is impressive. I, I know you mentioned like some of the other stuff going on. Let's stay away from that. But I would just say, Stefanski, you know, you have to move on from Watson because of his injuries. You have to deal with uh, PJ Walker at a certain point. Who else do they have in there? Dorian Thompson Robinson. Yeah, DTR comes in. And then you get Joe Flacco off the couch at age 38. <laughs> he's looking elite. <laughs> Joe Flacco's looking elite here in 2023, the last few weeks of the season, completely changing fantasy matchups all across the world because he just happens to go crazy. He's like, you know, Amari Cooper's pretty good. I'm going to get Amari Cooper the ball. And Amari Cooper puts up 50 points in week 16. Uh, just absolutely. If you were in the semifinals and you went against Amari Cooper, I'm sorry for you. That one must have been a painful game to watch, just how that one went. But yeah, like it, it is incredible. I do not want to just overshadow that coaching job because how many guys have to go through four quarterbacks in a season? You just don't see it. Like it's it just not something that's part of the norm. And again, I go to take this back to Shanahan. That's why 2022, you could probably have said would have been another good year to make the case for him because you have to go three quarterbacks deep and uh, you still don't win the award. So it, it's interesting to see Stefanski here uh, at the top of the list as well. Wow. If we're going to take the, the moral stuff and, and put it aside for a second, shouldn't Jim Schwartz get some love in this sense? Because he came in as the defensive coordinator and just completely reinvented that Cleveland defense. I feel like if Stefanski is going to be the beneficiary of having the number two ranked defense in the NFL, but that's he made a the big hiring. Jim Schwartz love. But he made the hiring, sure. you know, so you give him credit sure. for making the hiring. Because that's sure. part of it. That's, that's, that's part that's of it, good. too. Because it, also for Shinahan, if you're going to give him credit, his big thing is that he's had to replace defensive coordinators over the year to move on from solo gracefully to get the Miko to now you're making it work with Steve Wilkes this year. I think that also kind of works to his credit. So I think it's just hiring the right people is also part of it. Uh, so you would say Stefanski made the right move there in hiring Jim Schwartz and it's worked out great. And you know, for Jim Schwartz, there's the possibility. I know there's a, also a award that doesn't really get talked about for like best assistant, Maybe he gets that, you know, given what the Cleveland Browns defense has been this year. Uh, some of the others on the list, Mike McDaniel. So Mike McDaniel, this is kind of similar to Dan Campbell, I would say, in the sense that it's building it from the ground up. You know, you inherit a bad situation. You have draft picks taken away from you because of the Tom Brady thing. And you have this offense firing on all cylinders. Uh, Shane Steichen, D'Amico, you know, another similar case of we thought your team was going to be bad or average, but it ended up working out great. D'Amico, it's a shame because I feel if C.J. Stroud doesn't get hurt, maybe he is in the top two of this award. But unfortunately, the C.J. Stroud injury just kind of changed the whole dynamic here. And same for Shane Steichen. Like, I think if Anthony Richardson stays healthy, he could really made his case this year. But, you know, he's made it work with Garner Minshew. I don't know if it's worked to his advantage or disadvantage having Garner throughout the year because he could say, look, I've been able to make this work with Garner. I've been able to get us into the playoff picture with Garner Minshew, who a lot of you guys have kind of like cast aside into backup here. Uh, 
You know you don't actually have to. But I can. Flexible financing for dental care with care credit. Of those five that we just talked about, I know you said McVeigh and John Harbaugh are also in that mix in terms of people at the top of the award list. Of that group, Dan Campbell, a.k.a. Man Campbell, as I like to call him, Man Campbell and Mike McDaniel are two very worthy Coach of the Year winners. The jobs that both of those guys have done have been absolutely impeccable, especially for the Dolphins, because that offense is peaking at exactly the right time right now. Like, this is exactly the time that you want to get your offense rolling on all cylinders. I would put Miami right in that mix as well with Mike McDaniel. I could absolutely see Detroit and Man Campbell getting that award. They are absolutely worthy. I don't want to make it sound like I'm I'm calling them 2022 Brian Dayball. I am not. Man Campbell and Mike McDaniel absolutely have done incredible coaching jobs beyond what I expected when both of them were hired. Because remember, Man Campbell was a joke when he first got hired by the Detroit Lions. And Mike McDaniel was the D option for the Miami Dolphins going through that hiring cycle. They wanted Sean Payton and were willing to illegally tamper to make it happen with him and Tom Brady. They wanted Jim Harbaugh as their future head coach. They wanted to interview Brian Dayball, but Brian Dayball did not accept their interview request because he was going to take the Giants job, which in (laughs) hindsight, LOL, great job, Brian Dayball. And then they landed on Mike McDaniel, who has transformed their offense for the first time since Dan Marino was their quarterback. It was kind of hilarious this past game. I was watching seeing Stephen Ross celebrating in the uh, owner's box, given that, yeah, you're right. He did just kind of luck into Mike McDaniel, but Sometimes, you know, it's better to be lucky than good. (laughs) Mike McDaniel was the right coaching hire for them at this particular time. And it helped that they were being uh, they were aggressive and going after Tyreek Hill. And they decided, you know what, let's just build this team around speed. They had a vision of what they wanted to build this team like. And Mike McDaniel, you know, again, you know, people talk about like what role he had in Shanahan's like play calling when he was in San Francisco. Well, we got to see it when he went to Miami and what he's done is nothing short of phenomenal. So yeah, Mike McDaniel, like he would be worthy. It's just, you know, who has the best narrative? I think it's it's just going to be kind of like the thing that kind of comes down to. We'll see. Are you resolute in giving it to Shanahan? Man Campbell is number two. Uh, I would give it to Shanahan at number one and then Mike McDaniel in there at number three. Absolutely. I think that those are the three finalists in my eyes and, and, it's not a a, a, ga- a guarantee that it's over, but I just would absolutely love to see Kyle Shanahan be rewarded for the work that the 49ers have put up this year. <laughs> if I'm going to put it myself, I would probably still give the award to Dan Campbell. I think the narrative is there for him. My entire life, I've never seen a good Detroit Lions team, and I'm seeing it this year in 2023. I got to give it to Dan Campbell there. When it comes to Shanahan, well, I have massive respect, obviously, for him as a Niners fan. That's not the trophy the Niners fans are worrying about. So we care a little bit less about the coach of the year award. So by all means, give it to these mid teams that happen to uh, happen to be good this year. Heck, I'd probably I would put McDaniel put, you know, junior Niner Mike McDaniel there as number two. And then, yeah, Stefanski, because again, just like four quarterbacks, you just don't see that that often in the NFL and have success. So he's probably just in the top three as far as like that. I think Vegas has it semi right as far as where the odds are. But all right, guys, who do you think is taking home the award coach of the year? We'd like to hear your thoughts in the comment section. Leave a like on the video, subscribe to the channel, follow us on all our social medias from Juju and Kyle. Stay safe, happy and healthy. We'll see you next time.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.